Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chen. And this month, we are joined by a very special guest. Please welcome Billy Revel Seal. Welcome, Billy. Hi. <laughs> it's great to have Billy here with us. Billy's an actor. He's a storyteller. Um, he is somebody who I've had many chats about films with. And it's really great to have you with us, Billy. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Billy's stepping in this month uh, for Sarah. Sarah's um, not able to be with us this month. She's organizing some things and, and living her life. So um, it's really great to have Billy here filling Sarah's shoes. And this month, we're going to be talking about two films. We're going to be talking about The Five Bloods, which came out on Netflix this year. And Three Kings, which came out in 1999 in a cinema near you. Which is a concept that <laughs> we're not experiencing very much at the moment. So, yeah, let's hear about The Five Bloods, William. All right. Well, um, actually, Jeremy, I mean, this week I, I, I watched a, a new Netflix film. Um, pretty recent. Uh, stars very, very many uh, very prominent black actors in Hollywood right now. Um, it really... It uses a lot of the language of cinema to look at some historical context where African Americans have been, you know, placed out of context in in, in history. Uh, uh, there's a lot of pop culture references involved, and overall, it's about a quest for our main band of characters to make lots and lots of moolah. It's also very, very good, excellent, in fact, a very, you know, very clean, slick. Uh, almost two-hour production. But of course, that movie is Dolomite is my name with Eddie Murphy and not The Five Bloods with Spike Lee, uh, or by Spike Lee, uh, which was, I think, not a very good movie, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but I am shocked to watch two movies in the same week and find so many connections in between. But of course... So many connections between Dark Five Bloods and Three Kings as I, well. I, I almost thought you were talking about Hamilton. I mean, you're talking about <laughs> cinema, but Hamilton has just come out, right? So, anyways. Uh, the Three Kings is a film by David O. Russell. It came out at the early stages of his career. And it is uh, set in... Are they in Iraq or are they in Saudi Arabia? Iraq. Iraq. So, it's about the uh, Iraq-Saudi Arabia war, skirmish, conflict. Um and the American involvement in that war, and it's about four soldiers that hear of some gold bullion that is not going to be missed in the current um, conflict that's going on, or at least not be traced. And so they go on a journey to get this gold, and in the process they start to see some of the realities of the war that they have been a part of in, in politically, but not necessarily physically been a part of uh, up, to, up to date. So yeah, David O. Russell's film, uh, it's a film that was steeped in, in mythology because George Clooney and David O. Russell famously did not get on set, did, did not get on well on set, um, particularly because David O. Russell was probably in over his head or felt very stressed and seemed to take that out on the people around him. And George Stories Clooney, of uh, fistfights on set. Yeah, and him screaming at extras and George Clooney stepping in to stand up for people that he recognised didn't have the clout to stand up against their director. So, really interesting film. Um, and in my opinion, I think a great movie. It's definitely dated, but we're going to get into that. And just to kind of summarise, um, Cinema in Context is about discussing two films with some connection. One current, one retrospective. And this month, our connection is, yeah, two movies about war and finding money. <laughs> finding gold. <laughs> and with some political commentary as well. Please be warned that we will be discussing both films with full spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movies, maybe pause this episode and come back 
come back and listen at a later date. Oh, there we go. Nice. Should we finish? No, no, okay. We're just talking about the movies. <laughs> Who wants to start? What, what do we want to start with? Uh, let's, let's start with the Fly, Five Bloods, because I, I find this a fascinating movie. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen all of Spike Lee's movies. Um, the ones I've seen have even either been really, really good or god-awful. Um, I'm thinking the Old Boy remake for that one. And this one, I think it really oscillates between the two extremes. Um, it's very long. It's, what, 2 hours 35, I think? And very much a shaggy dog story, but in a way that doesn't feel very coherent. And I find that to be the main, the main flaw of the movie, even though there's a lot of good to be gained out of that. And we'll, we'll, of course, I think we'll talk about Daryl Lindo's performance later on and some of the, the directorial and the acting choices, which are so good. It's just a shame that the movie around it is so messy. I agree. Uh, it's just too long. I don't think it needed to be two hours and thirty something minutes long. And and I we were talking briefly before this started about how um, Netflix clearly has a lot of money to throw at these directors. And you know, Billy, you're talking about just that opportunity that directors seem to have to just do whatever they want. <laughs> it seems like that's the case here, right? He, for better or for worse, Spike Lee has been able to do what he wants, um, and that has resulted in a two hour thirty six movie. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it was. It's an interesting piece of um, media. I want to say. I didn't know that you can call it necessarily film, and because uh, I don't know. I think like the medium is moving quite a bit and rapidly. Um, and with the advent of Netflix and also COVID, not being able to go to the movies, the way we absorb we absorb film now is so different. And this, I think also. It's a testament to the times that we have at the moment. It almost felt like Spike Lee had to um, prove everything he was saying in his movie. It's like, oh, this is we're going to explore this storyline, um, and it has this issues around black people. But this is something that happened a long time ago, so I'm going to show reference to that thing so that I can back that up. It's not fake news. Do you know what I mean? I feel it felt like that to me in, in, in this in this piece of media. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. And it really felt very aggressive in how he was doing it as well. Yeah. Um, all the cutaways to real footage and to, to real photos. I, uh, did you guys see uh, Black Klansman? No. Okay, because I, I felt like that was something he was doing quite a bit in that as well. But in this, there was just so much more of an urgency um, with a lot of just the horrifying impact of real life stuff. I, I think the movie is trying to use that to feed into our emotions with the story that's being told here. Um, but definitely agreed, Billy. Like, uh, just making something that maybe was a unseen part of the Vietnamese War, especially in movies like The Black Experience, and taking that and making it relevant in 2020. Yeah, yeah, and I think it is with the times of with Black Lives uh, our Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I just feel like he felt this was a time to kind of tell that story and, and tell it in the way that he he did. There's also the through line of um, absent fathers, or um, and that's quite a big topic at the moment um, in terms of where that uh, the opposition to that move, movement is. It's not a systemic problem. It's um, black fathers not being in the home or, or being present and things like that. So there's lots of, lots of political commentary um, and that's why I say it's a piece of media, do you know what I mean? It's, it's It almost seems like he wants it to be an educational piece mm. rather than an entertainment piece. And 
Yeah. I love the idea of the film and I was really excited about watching the movie and I found I did cry a couple of times with the reality of these men coming back to a place where they had had found such camaraderie but also experienced such horror and I like I think that the the black experience of Vietnam American War is an, an untold story and I think there's a huge opportunity there to tell that I feel that um any time that we were with the the old guys at the start of the movie, I was having a really good time. Oh, yeah. And when it cut away to the flashbacks, it, it just kind of killed the vibe. And, and it felt like it was sort of trying to have its cake and eat it too and be this action movie, but also commentate on it. And I, I was sort of a bit jarred by that. And I, I sort of thought about whether cutting those flashbacks out would be the, the best thing. Part of me thinks, yes, whilst I love... What's the Black Panther's... Actually, Ch- Ch- uh, Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman. He's, he was great. I loved his character. But... And I, and I really loved how they kept the old actors in the flashbacks. Oh, you did? Was, yeah, yeah, I, I loved it. Oh, man. I, I, I felt that. that was so distracting. But what, what's uh, to, to have all these... To have all... I mean, I, I get why they did it. And I read, you know, it was a limitation that Spike Lee turned into, you know, something that worked. Or uh, that works. Quote. Um, but... I just felt so weird seeing, you know, four 60-year-old dudes, like, idolize this 20-year-old dude. And I don't think it works in the context of the movie. Like, it's art- it is very clearly an artistic choice, but one that just is real weird. Real weird. I, I, I tell you why I loved it, because so often, like, I, I do not like this whole de-aging thing. I think it's, that's weird. <laughs> I'm just like, nah, don't. Just, so, so, so you didn't, recast you didn't or, like the de-aging at the end of the movie with that photo no, and it looks I hate super that. weird and I hate when they when you, when you see like a, like somebody has this emotional moment where they're looking back at an old photo and it's clearly been photoshopped so many movies do photoshop I'm like just take a photo with different actors like we can suspend our disbelief <laughs> like it's not that hard to take a photo they, with they different actors they actually do that in this movie as well where um, there's a flashback with Dalry Lindo um, when he's younger with his wife and the photoshop job on the guy's head is so so bad. You can see the smudges <laughs> around the edges. It's just Dalry Lindo like grinning. It's like their face replace. Eh? Yeah. Like, yeah. Whatever. No, yeah, I, I agreed. I really enjoyed that part um, when they didn't de-age. And I thought like also he took lots of references from the time or what I would think the time would be in terms of the aspect ratio changes. So it goes back to like uh, more of a square box. Um, everything in the background is kind of blurred. So it's not high definition. And it also has that kind of it has that what I know to be Vietnam feel to, um, to the to the scenes, and then, like for me, it was how do I remember myself twenty years ago? I don't remember myself being a ten year old. I remember myself in those memories as being my age and things like that. So that's sort of the connection I made. I made there with the choice. Yeah, it's nice. Like, that's how you remember yourself or, or your friends. You know, it's hard to remember what a young William looked like, mm-hmm. um, but I can remember us doing things how you look now I yeah I, I agree I, I, and, I, and I did like that and I like the aspect ratio but I just I just the actual content wasn't working and it was killing this beautiful like the build up of the of the modern day story was quite lovely yeah. and like they met each other and you started to learn a little bit and I, and I liked the tension of the um, I don't know the actor's names or the character I remember the character's names of the guy who's got PTSD and is that the, the, the yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so Daryl Lindo poor he was yeah. fantastic and the way they built up a story and I like his son being there and mm-hmm. um I just wish that the story had had more focus and more clarity. And then finding the gold halfway through the movie, I was like, well, where's this movie going to go? And it went worse places than I could have ever imagined. Like, it was just, like, tonally, it didn't make sense. Like, it was this really kind of lovely piece of trying to, this heartbreaking piece. 
and then it became what did it become? I don't know. How do people feel about where the movie went? It, it, it got more and more stupid. I, like, I, I feel I feel like he did take some inspiration from Three Kings in some places. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and I I, I felt like there's a weird comedy that happens in that movie that Spike Lee was trying to, um, to capitalize on a little bit that kind of just didn't didn't fall right. It was just. Like when when the when one of their mates gets blown up out of like you knew it was coming. Oh, it's yeah, like there's a line I knew it was there. coming. Yeah, like he's stepping back. Yeah. It's like you don't don't step back. There's a yeah. landmine there, guys. Yeah. And and then it happens, and you're like, oh man, this is this is getting stupid now. Yeah. How, how did you guys feel with that mine scene uh, specifically? When um, uh, what's the character's name? Uh, Eddie. Eddie uh, walks back, and he he has this big monologue about money is the root of all evil. <laughs> <laughs> Like I think, I think humor, right, and tone. Uh, like Spike Lee did not have his finger on the pulse here. Like uh-huh. it wasn't funny. Well, was it supposed to be funny? I don't know. Because I read some reviews online and people were praising that scene. It's like, oh, it's horrifying when you see a still twitching corpse. And I, I was flat out laughing at the screen. A because the special effects were kind of goofy, and I could just imagine the actor half buried, you yeah. know, with his lower half and his upper torso with all these squibs. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't look very good, but just. Everything leading up to that point was so... Like, the, the reality was so heightened. Like, it was almost like they were going for... As you say, Billy, like, like Three Kings, which is very exaggerated. It was this goofball sensibility. I, I, it, it, I don't know what... I, that's, that's the moment where the movie just completely turns. And then... And then although, although the moment afterwards where they, they try and get the sun and they tie the rope around, I thought that was the best scene in the movie. I love that scene. I'd sort of given up at that point. Okay. I was just like, what is this? And then, and when, and like, it, it's so conscious about its about the black experience in terms of race politics, but the, the depiction of the Vietnamese oh. kind of henchmen and the French is so problematic. Yeah, <laughs> like I was just like they when they come in, they're like, oh, I don't know. It was just so bad. Yeah, I think it's also typical of all, like all of the movies we have from Hollywood about Vietnam. Um, and, and the henchman thing that kind of happens. Um, like, why, why, does that, why would that happen in Vietnam? Why would that be more likely to happen in Vietnam than anywhere else? Yeah. Like, I'm like, that wouldn't happen. In, that wouldn't, what is this? I, I feel that's, that's one point at which Three Kings is just such a superior film. Uh, even though, of course, uh, it has our boy Cliff Curtis as a Iraqi guy. I know. super weird. And you know his daughter? It's Alia Shawkat. I, I looked it up. She's like, what is Because I was like... From Arrested Development and... Yeah. Um, uh, uh, what's it called? Search Whip, Party Whip fame. Whippet. She was in Whippet. Yeah. She's like that teen... You know, teen... She, she's so good and she's the little girl now. She's a little... Iraqi um, but, but like, yeah, I completely agree, guys. Like, the depiction of the Vietnamese... Like, the French are just cartoons. Jean Renault going like... Oh, <laughs> and, and man, he... um He's he's a larger dude now. Like, he's kind of... Of course, yeah, he's just... Larger dude, John Renault. Um, but man, the Vietnamese, the the scene with the the guy with the chicken, like, what is going on yeah. here? Um, yeah. So Otis, he he has his old Vietnamese girlfriend and his like half caste daughter that he's never talked to. All that stuff felt so weird, so weird, and it's it's weird because I find that movie to be really hypocritical. Like, on the one hand. It is all about like the horrors of American imperialism, right? Like what the Bloods went through, what the Viet Cong went through. There's that quite good scene where the, you know they meet up with the Viet Cong group of soldiers and they're talking about poetry and 
and love and returning home and then the blood just mowed them down i love i love that that was a that like, was a whoa. moment that, and like the fact yeah. that so often we hear in, in, in vietnamese american films you just hear the Vietnam, Viet Cong talking vietnamese mm-hmm. you don't know what they're saying but just to have that lovely like that they don't the the bloods don't know what yeah. they're saying and so like it's just that the poetry there's two yeah. love poems and it's <laughs> that is a moment that's great and i didn't talk about poetry i did like the poetic ending of the film where the it's the younger generation that survived and you've got a collection of um a french woman an african-american man a, a white american man and the vietnamese man like yeah. that that is a kind of idea and and that they're the ones that sort of live on yeah um you know, I, I like that what they were trying to do. It, they didn't pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of the problem for me as well was with, with having such a long movie, there was no real character development because everything was so focused on the message that he wanted to get across. Mm. So I didn't really care when anyone died, um, which was a big problem. Do you know what I mean? Because I think, like, I, I agree. I like that, the, that all the young ones survive and, like, things go on and you learn things. But it's like, I don't, I don't care about enough about this the people in this movie yeah. like I I'm getting the message and that's why I say it's a piece of media do you know what I mean like I imagine it's a YouTube series where you can because because I imagine it's that thing right it's like you learn something from the movie and you're like oh I need to fact check that I want to go do that I, I mean yeah you, you're, you're completely right because even with the Bloods who are ostensibly our four main characters that we meet from the very beginning of the film apart from Daryl Lindo's poor who I think has a lot going for him. And of course he has that amazing monologue at the end, which is just one long continuous take of Dallin Lindo talking to the camera, like Oscar worthy stuff, amazing performance. But the rest of them, like I, I did not care about anything that they went through. The, the Vietnamese girlfriend or the falling on the grenade or the guy and his failing auto businesses. It's like, these are character details which mean nothing and convey nothing about who they are. And when something happens, you, you don't feel anything. You really don't. Uh, I, I kind of want to bring back the point about the girlfriend and his, his grown daughter, which the timeline just, first of all, does not make sense. She's, what, in her 40s now? And she's lived at home for 40 years, <laughs> waiting for her absentee father to come back from the States, who apparently has never called, ne- never done anything. And in the end, she's like, oh... Funny, my papa is back. <laughs> so weird and so like American and so you know. Well, this is this is the consequences of what we do in other countries, but it's all okay now. Yeah. Um. But all, all that stuff just you don't you don't have that emotional connection, even though the movie is bloody two hours and thirty minutes long. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Three Kings because um, Billy, had you seen the film before? Three Kings, yes, long time ago though. Yeah, me too. I saw it. I saw it when I was a teenager. I didn't. I didn't remember much of the details. I remembered the the vibe of the movie, which was still relevant yeah. at the time. Uh, you know, I still feel the same thing. Um, but I, I do feel that that film is still problematic. <laughs> you know, but it, it had a much clearer and stronger purpose. And the story is pretty simple. You can just you can tell the story pretty quickly. You know, they they're greedy. They're on this mission, and they start to realize what what this actually means. Um, but yeah, what were people's thoughts? How do how do how were people vibing with Three Three Kings? I didn't. I found it harder to watch than the Five Bloods of the Four Bloods. What's it called? Uh, <laughs> five to Five Bloods. Oh, it was it was. Um, I found it. I found it to be dated, still relevant in some ways, but like, it's and and I know that's what the director was kind of going for. It's kind of like this disgusting. Um, 
war culture or you know what i mean but it was just it also just how for me lots of the things that i don't like about american culture um and and then i just it was unbearable at some points just mm. I, I for me this is one of the movies that i've never seen oh um, do you never seen it before I, I it's one of my blind like i haven't seen this i'm my, my list of shame like i've never seen goodfellas you guys i've never seen goodfellas um as well as Godfather Part what? Two. Part two. No! Oh, no! Okay, okay, no! Okay, no! Wait, 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 wait. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> why, why did I say this on the air? Um, I've seen, get this, I've seen Godfather Parts 1 and Part 3. Uh, but not Part 2, which is apparently one of the greatest movies of all oh, time. Oh, it's amazing. Just never got around to it. Part 1 is like the classic, yeah. classic storytelling. And Part 2 is like, let's just change the game. Yeah. Oh, but so anyway, um, Three Kings. Uh, I, I loved this movie. Mm. Uh, maybe it was uh, because I... I had just watched the Five Bloods previous, and I kind of hated it. <laughs> um, but the, kind of that feeling you say, Billy, just it was so uncomfortable. I watched it last night, and I couldn't get to sleep because it was so gross and so grungy and so just that 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 toxic Americana kind of placed in the early '90s, and to see all of those excesses, but from a modern day perspective, I thought really worked for me. Um, yeah, it was it was disturbing. It was funny. It was weird. It was intense. I I really really enjoyed it. Um, warts and all. Mm. I I probably sit somewhere probably in between the two of you. Like I I had a good time. Um, problematic, you know. Whilst I agree, it has that commentary, William. It's not all. It's still icky. Like there's a lot of assumptions there that that it's pretty gross. Um, but it was it was. It held up in terms of just, I like a story that is simple. Like, mm. the story is simple. It, it has the good the good character development. It gets to a place that says something. But it's got layers there that you can kind of unpack. And I think the, yeah, I thought there was some cool stuff. I think some of the scenes with, like, the torture scenes with Marky Mark kind of were a bit random. And <laughs> I, I, I was just really distracted because, first of all, Marky Mark, I, I've never seen him so small. Um He's, just, he's, he's not bulked up. Like he's, right. he's quite, he's quite, you know, svelte uh, in this movie. Um, and also with his haircut and everything, he just reminded me of a friend. Like he looks just like him, just like my <laughs> friend Joe. Uh, he's uh, so, he's so like when like Mark Wahlberg has made a career of being a bit whiny and getting away with it. Yeah. Like, how does he get away with being so whiny? Like Marky Mark's kind of default, eh? Um, I, kind of, I, this, I think that's why I enjoyed this scene. It was good to see him in a bit of pain. Yeah. Or like. Pain that was warranted but also i think it was like a big part of um uh digging into what what the director i think was trying to get a, a, across in his film in that scene particularly when when he's he's trying to identify with his captor being like i'm a father too and he's like i'm not a father anymore i told you that story about my 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 kids my son getting killed um i'm not you know what i mean like because of you guys, I'm not a father, and like realizing how selfish the the Americans in this movie are. Like, they wanna, you know, what I mean, it's oh, I've got a baby back home. Let me go. It's like, man, you just killed my kid, my kids. And mm. like, yeah, I think for me that was, you know, again, why why the movie is so gross. But also, just in terms of when the movie was made, like this is just pre um, 9/11. This is uh, what. Eight years after it's set in 1991, mm -hmm. um, where they had just come out of um, Kuwait, I think it was. Um, so it's an interesting period piece about a very 
weird time and really it's really interesting how close that is to to that next bigger uh, event which i think yeah. has redefined the world for us and how we look at places like iraq particularly in, me- in american media because like the same week i watched matrix the matrix with my nephew he'd never seen it before he's 13 so perfectly aged to watch the matrix and matrix holds up and like it's such a good film like, yeah it's such a good film and but the things that were interesting so 1999 same year um as the three kings the things like the imagery of the helicopter going into a building like you just wouldn't do that now or like even the sh- even the scene where they the, the big famous scene where they go in with the trench coat trench coats and shoot everybody up i felt really uncomfortable watching that scene um and even 1999 which has been columbine i don't i don't know yeah. what month it happened but it must have happened after matrix because otherwise matrix wouldn't have been the yeah. success it was the Matrix was what April, I think, early on in the year, right? And yeah. then it was Columbine September, yeah. So that time, yeah, it's just interesting the imagery that is shown in these movies and the and the confidence with which they're telling these stories. In Three Kings, like they even at the end, they save the the Iraqi rebels and they get them across the border and they go home and they live these great lives. Like, ooh, even like, ooh, yeah. ooh. well, because there's also I don't know if you caught it on the TV. There's a one scene where on the TV they're playing. Um, Scenes from back in America where um, it was that uh, Roy, I can't remember his name, um, but it's when the black riots were happening. Yeah, the and, LA, LA riots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they, he was beaten up by the cops and things like that. And that was shown in that part. So I think the the director definitely had some things that he wanted, commentary he wanted to. So David Russell talks about this period of his filmmaking career as kind of I think his words are, you know, my head's so far at my own ass that I don't know what I'm doing or something like that. Or I'm trying to, he's trying to be preachy and trying to make statements. And he's, so because he made, have you guys seen I Heart Huckabees? Mm-hmm. Which is his like film he made next. And then he had a big break until he then made like The Fighter and, and American Hustle and Silver Line's Playbook and Joy. And he hasn't really made, he's been producing lots, but he hasn't directed much since. But he said like later on, he's like, I just now just play. Like I have an idea. I've got my actors. I've got a script. We just kind of play and we figure stuff out. Mm. And it's clear to see in his later films that his talent of being able to weave those things together, it's, it's I think it's much stronger. And then, but Three Kings is like apart from being problematic, it's still a really strong piece. Yeah. Um, but definitely, it's that preaching element. And like when Billy and I were driving over here, we were talking about Dip Five Bloods feeling like such a preachy piece. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, this is the message and you will listen to it. Yeah. And, you will, and it's like, oh man, just give me the, give me the story and I can find the connections, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I do think Three Kings does a better job. It does way better. That. Yeah. Um, it's just some assumptions there that it, I think really Three Kings, so much of the, the message just is drawn from the reactions of our characters to what's happening around them. Like, there's no lines you just from the expression see everything the movie wants you to know and i think that's something that the five bloods really lacks mm. yeah. i love that moment where george Clooney just gets annoyed at the three boys shooting things at the back and you think he's going to scold them but he turns it into something else and you're just like oh man he's just as bad as they are and then the whole scene with the cow explodes is just incredible and then, then they go into the next scene it's like they're animals they're covered in blood like there's there's I do like the. It's like the apocalypse. I watched Apocalypse Now this week yeah. as well, which is one of my favorite films. It's referenced it's, many, many times in The Five Bloods. Yes, like literally in the background of that, yeah. that club, and um, that film it, it it does what I think both movies are trying to do so well, which is like this American disgusting American culture, but it's so screwed up, and the whole thing feels like this weird trip, and mm. like, it, you know that that film gets the. 
the horror. And, and Francis Ford Coppola talks about like people describe Apocalypse Now as an anti-war film. He's like he doesn't describe it as that because it's still monopolizing on action scenes. He says, to my mind, an anti-war movie would be set in Iraq. He said this back during the Iraq War, um, or you know when America was fully in, in that in that conflict. In my mind, an anti-war film would be an Iraqi family having a wedding and the family all comes together and it's a story about family and like and then that's the end of the movie. Like that's an anti-war film for me, not a war movie. A war movie can't be an anti-war movie. So um, yeah, it was just interesting watching Apocalypse Now and seeing the, 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 the successful way with which it highlights the disgusting nature of thinking you can go in to another country and just make everything right mm-hmm. with no awareness of your own your own blind spots and assumptions and yeah it's pretty massive um what about spike jones so spike jones plays <laughs> so you've got um yeah you've got the, the three guys and you've got spike jones who i forgot was in it can, can we can we just talk about the cast of the three kings of war because this cast is insane yeah so spike jones is like some weird southern hick and he's and he was filming being john malkovich at the same time and then coming back he was wow, he was that's he amazing was filming, and he never acted before and he was he just is amazing. And apparently he's on set, he was amazing. He would wow. just improvise and throw people off all the time. And he said, you always have a great time with Spike Jones on set. Because <laughs> I was watching and going, wait a second, is that is that Spike Jones? Yeah. Um, and of course, we, we've already talked about our boy Cliff, Cur- Cliff Curtis, um, the you know go-to actor for Ambiguously Brown. <laughs> uh, I think he's played every, he, he, every brown culture, he, I think. In, what was it? In Collateral Damage, uh, he was like a Colombian drug lord. In Hobbs and Shaw, he was the rock Samoan Uso. Uh, what else? He's been everything, everything, um, which is, yeah, <laughs> that's something. And his daughter, once again, is Alia Shawkat. Um, also interesting, um, the the captor of Marky Mark, um, Saeed Tagmuli, like I was like, hey, he's so young because he's been in so much stuff. I mean, he was in La N, uh, which is amazing, or La N. Um, but wasn't lost. Oh, he was. Yeah, he nice. was part lost. He didn't survive very long, <laughs> but he shows up in season five. But because he he's one of like one woman's buddies and Wonder Woman. Oh, um, right, the Moroccan guy, and he was also in a. If anyone remembers the first GI Joe movie, he was the tech guy. Mm. But he's he's been in more Hollywood stuff. Mm. Um, and then Jamie Kennedy is the the um, so the the other soldier who's driving the reporter around. Yeah, uh, that's oh, Jamie yeah. Kennedy. What's he and been he's on? Super, I recognize his face. He's super whiny. He was um he was John Arbuckle and Garfield the movie. Oh, okay. he's a really annoying comedian. <laughs> oh, uh, he, he had his own show. He, the <laughs> Jamie Kennedy Experience. That's or right. Experiment. One of my favorite moments is when Nora Dunn is just like yeah. she's just talking about how hard things are, and he's like falling in love with her, and he goes to kiss her, and she's like, oh, <laughs> she pushes his face away. <laughs> And, and of course, the the other reporter who um, George Clooney has sex with at the beginning is Judy Greer. Yeah, she's brilliant. Like, whoa, this is the kind of roles that Judy Greer gets that sucks. She's because she's so much better than this material. Yeah, true. And I was thinking about her in the exact same way, but yeah. I would, didn't quite articulate it like that. And but, then, of course, her and Alia Shawkat in a couple of years' time would both star in Arrested Development, which is just this weird connection. I, I think there's this moment in when they're looking at the pelicans and they're covered in oil and, and Nora Dunn's character starts crying and it's so funny. And that's the sort of stuff that I think David O. Russell, when he gets that stuff on point, like mm-hmm. the satire of this, of just like her having this emotional moment, but all she really cares about is getting the story. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think also like the... Yeah, sorry, we were talking about the, the choices of, of actors and things like that. It was interesting to see 
um, Ice Cube. I don't know if mm. was that one of his first films that he was in. Was I don't it? know. He's it's yeah. interesting. Like um, also just his pushback on on you know he seems to be the voice of reason yeah. um, and speaking for minority in that space, and I I like that. But um, it was an interesting interesting choice of such a bad guy. Maybe Boys in the Hood. Maybe. Was Marky Mark as well? Like, you've mm. got these... I don't know, like, rapping. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think George Clooney, it probably would have been... Like, ER, right? He, was, he would have done ER, but, mm. you know, and he, he didn't have the great track record, you know, like he made Batman and Robin, and, <laughs> yeah. which, you know... By the way, shout out to um, director Joel Schumacher, who passed away this week, mm-hmm. which is sad. Um, but yeah, he he's, wasn't a big... He wasn't a huge name at that point. And I'm thinking about this and also, like... Two years later, it would have been Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's, where it would have been like yeah. the height of his. And then Out of Sight, of course, which he was pretty great in. Is that with Jennifer Lopez? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Steven I mean... Sonnenberg. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Well, Steven Sonnenberg is another connection here, right? Because even visually, like if you yeah. look at Three Kings, oh, the overexposedness, yeah. where they physically did it with film, whereas when you get to Ocean's Eleven, I think they did it all with digital grading. Mm-hmm. But it's that kind of weird 90s, all the colors are kind of all heightened and. Yeah, there were some interesting choices in that movie. Like, how close is this? Mo- I don't, I don't know the dates for like Snatch and kind of Lock, Lock Stock. It's around like, about in between. Yeah. Like, I feel like there was lots of experimentation with with film in that time as well, and I don't think he nailed it in this sense. Like, some of the zooms that he he did in the movie like were just cringy to me. Like watching it, I was just like, this is horrible. Or, or the slow motion kind of like oh the, the, the bullet shot frame yeah. Well, he, he was trying to do that because he wanted to take away the like the the the, um, the enjoyment, thrill. the thrill yeah. of shooting scenes. But some of the other stuff, it's just weird. It doesn't kind of work. Yeah, yeah. And then like the use of music and sound in that as well. Like especially that shooting scene, that that felt like such an eyesore because because everything else seemed like okay, toxic toxic Americana playing all this music, running around Iraq being dickheads. And then you get to the shooting scene and it's sort of like he pulled the music or the sound bites from Counter-Strike or something and <laughs> played them over the background. You know what I mean? Like it kind of did feel a little bit like he was playing into a different culture. Yeah. It felt like suddenly we're in a video game and it was mm. very much like, yeah, an, a transactional kind of thing. It was weird. <laughs> and I felt that like with lots of the film, it was just lots of weird decisions with, with the actual filmmaking of it that I didn't always appreciate. I like your highlight though, that time of that time of experimentation, because I think that that's what it is, right? And there's a yeah. lot of films, like um, we were talking before this about, uh, I mentioned Run, Lola, Run. And yeah. I think about, yeah, just some of the Yeah, that's the all ways. around the same period. Yeah, just lots of playing with film, which is really cool, but it's very dated now. <laughs> I, I did love the, the shot of the bullet going into the stomach and all that kind of thing. Uh, I have my notes just in capital letters, lungs. Yeah. How, how do they do that? Because so, I've done a lot of dissections in my time as a biology teacher, and those look like real lungs. Like the, the prop work is yeah. amazing. Amazing. So, so there, it was all prosthetics, and at the time, um, apparently, David Russell was being interviewed and getting annoyed with the reporter because the reporter was just kind of asking these inane questions. So he just told him, this reporter, that they used a real corpse. And the hardest <laughs> thing was to get a light into the corpse. And it sparked off um, one of the um, uh, associations in the United States. Like, 
writing a formal complaint against the film for using a corpse and the inappropriateness of using a corpse. But it's just because he was just annoyed. He's like, oh, I was just annoyed as a reporter. It wasn't real, you know? Because <laughs> it looks cool. so good, especially like the little bubbles of foam coming out from the puncture wound. Yeah. And that, um, that wound that Marky Mark gets... Um, I love calling, calling him Marky Mark. Um, that, and this funky bunch. And by the way, because we had his shirt off and he had no tattoos, and I was like, I wonder if he that was makeup? Because I know he's had his tattoos. He's been through the process of having his tattoos removed. But he had like full body tattoos, and like he didn't have any in that movie. Hmm. Anyways, um, so but that, that injury that he got with his lung, that, that collapsed lung, that was David Russell talking to a doctor saying, what's the weirdest injury a person can get? And he explained it to him, and he's like, ah, oh, I want to put that in a movie. And so that's where that whole like cool. valve and the tension of him not being able to open his yeah. valve at the end. I'm like, and he's got his arms behind his back. And so, yeah, Anyways, talking about sound and music. One of the things that stood out to me was the music in five bloods to five bloods and not for a good reason. It was so out of place, <laughs> not the soundtrack stuff. I thought that was really cool, yeah. but the score and the flashback stuff, it was almost like the taken stock <laughs> score and just dumped it on it because it emotionally didn't make sense it was just like the sweeping soundtrack over it's like something out of Saving Private Ryan <laughs> it was weird I, I don't know did you did it stand out for you guys at all yeah yeah it did um, and maybe that's why like part of the reason why the flashback scenes just didn't didn't work because it's, they felt so out of place and surreal and not only because of the difference in, in film stock as, as you guys have just said but but really just Everything, the the actors, the difference in color gradient. Uh, I I read that Spike Lee actually shot on like real sixteen mil for for the scenes. That makes sense. That's pretty cool. How did they do the CGI then? Because it was CGI through those scenes, and I'm it was yeah maybe like just post post processing. Yeah right. Um, and the music and and how it, it builds up to something when you find out that oh shock of all shocks like David's the guy that actually shot Chadwick Boseman and was that's why he was so racked with guilt. And you're supposed to feel this emotional catharsis, and then the film immediately takes that away from you, like having this real, the hardest cut in the entire film, where he's surrounded by these Vietnamese gangsters. That's right. He's digging his own grave. Yeah. He's like, oh, oh by the way, before that, he has a fight with the snake, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he's going crazy because of the snake bite. He starts running at the sky. And then they fill him with squibs, like a hundred bullets. And this is the point where the movie just becomes a cartoon. Like, yeah. What the heck is happening? And then it's a, like, for a movie that throughout is criticizing Rambo and is saying, you know, like, we've glorified this, this Vietnamese experience, all this stuff. Um, and then to end with them just murdering these Vietnamese gangsters. In a really cool way, like yeah. with you know dodging behind pillars <laughs> with vantage. It points. was so clearly though um, uh, post production squibs. Did you notice that? Like, oh, I it did was not. all like explosions of blood. But I was like, <laughs> this is just After Effects. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, um, but I, I think as well like the um, the story of his PTSD as as you know these guys all went through the same experience and one of them had this outcome. And I, I thought that was really interesting, you know? It didn't need this twist. Like, mm. the twist didn't... It, it kind of diminished yeah. that, that yeah. what it was saying. I was like, I haven't seen that before. Like, these guys have all gone through something similar. And I, I thought that was a shame. And it just... It was it was just all silly. What did you guys think about the um, the fact that David is a Trump supporter? Because it's, it's a pretty was, big part. I was just going to say that. I, I think, like, it's just in terms of... Uh, I think it was... He was making some commentary on... There actually being quite a few black Trump supporters 
and like lots of them are disenfranchised looking for a way to re-engage or re-identify with who they are and being okay with that kind of thing so i really appreciated that commentary that he he was the trump trump supporter but yeah it was interesting what do you think jeremy um, he's the rich guy. Eh? David the rich no, guy. No, he's uh, Daryl Lindo. The he, he wears a Make America oh, Great Again cap this whole up. time. Oh, oh uh, really? But nah. the, the cap was such a major character. Yeah. And then like Jean Reno puts it on at the end, and he's like, "I am now imperialism incarnate." Oh, I, I didn't. I sort of zoned out at parts because it's just <laughs> there seemed to be lots of details just thrown in. The one that really jarred for me was the Black Lives Matter rally at the end. Oh, With, like, oh, we've yeah. got some money, guys. I was like. Did you film this like last week to tack on to the movie? Like it feels so out of place. I was like, this was all like I don't know, like just trying to force some of those connections that it would have just had inherently if they just made a good film. Yeah. I guess like overall my fear is that while Three Kings for Russell was like a good time to experiment with how film works, like this is now what film is. This is where we are with the medium and that especially with you know I wonder how it would stand up in a theater. You know what I mean? Lots of the things that come out for Netflix are designed to be absorbed at home and maybe in parts, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't find myself watching movies on Netflix much anymore. And that's not about the movies. It's about how I absorb media now. And it's, I wonder if this is what, part of Spike Lee uh, trying to experiment with, with the medium to try to get viewers back to watching movies do you think this or oh, the five bloods would have been a better experience in the theaters no <laughs> <laughs> no no at all but that's what i mean i think yeah. it wasn't like he in terms of the design of it or the or the uh the direction of it knowing that it's not going to theater mm. how does that change the way that you make film now do you mm. know what i mean and I, I think that's an important question for all filmmakers at the moment it's like we're moving away from theaters, which is really sad because there's lots of things that I I could watch in a, in a movie. I could watch Transformers at the movies happily. I'm not going to watch that at home, mm. like because I need the surround sound, yeah. the big screen, and all of the action. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder how that's affecting the way movies are being made, and if we are going to see more of movies like The Five Bloods because that's a scary, scary thought to me. I guess though the the counter that would be that we've lost a lot of those middle ground movies, you know, like we've lost a lot of movies that I guess the five bloods could, it was a good movie, you know, like it's a middle budget movie. It's not a big action movie. It's not an independent movie. And so if Netflix can provide those sort of budgets, yeah. that's quite cool. But I hear you in terms of how it's changing the way the movies are being made and told. Um, I just think that if Spike, Spike Lee had been, had a bit of a you know we talk a lot about a lot of negative negativity can be put against the studio system and for it sort of producing lowest common denominator or unciting ideas but i think sometimes you need a bit of no no people around to help keep it healthy like someone like terry gilliam who's an amazing visionary he needs someone to keep his ideas in mm. check or peter G jackson like George he needs Lucas. like <laughs> they need the pressure of yeah. budget to be at like because peter jackson was like on an, on an on budget director that was like what he was known for and he would find creative ways to, to find storytelling and then you get to the Hobbit movies which is like he's got all the budget in the world and it's just a mess someone like Spike Lee I think he needs a bit of somebody to kind of keep him on check to bring in some of these ideas um, so uh, yeah I think it's an interesting question Billy I don't know 
see let's see what comes next <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of cinema in context if you enjoyed our podcast then please share it with your film loving friends you can listen to cinema in context on apple podcasts soundcloud stitcher radio public spotify and where else that yeah. sounds about right eh? mm-hmm. <laughs> you can follow us on facebook subscribe to us on twitter youtube um man i'm forgetting all my lists today one more instagram these are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare look out for our next episode in a month's time and until then kakite anō